So after the message, we'll sing from hymn 49 in stanzas 1 to 4, Spirit, the Spirit sent from heaven above. Our text is from John 14, verses 16 to 18. I encourage you to have that open this morning as we look at that passage in its context in, on this Pentecost Sunday. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we as the Christian church have always affirmed our Christian faith, and we do that with the words of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now there's a lot of ignorance with regard to the Spirit when it comes to theology and experience. Is he a force? Or a personality, a power, or a person. And if we think of him as just a mysterious power, then our thought will continually be like, how, how much more can I get of the Holy Spirit? That's, of course, the way that it goes in some, some circles, as if he's treated as some kind of a commodity that we can receive to do powerful things. Well, thankfully, we stand with the early church fathers, which are very helpful about the Holy Spirit, which we have summarized, of course, in our creeds, our ecumenical creeds. They said, when speaking of the Trinity, do not divide the essence and do not confound the persons. Do not divide the essence of all three persons and do not confound or confuse the persons. So the Father isn't the Son, and the Son isn't the Father. You cannot confound or, or blend the persons of God. There are two distinct persons, and yet one God. But as we know, not just two persons of the Trinity, as I'm sure our children here will know today, whenever you see a baptism, whenever you witness a baptism, and the minister puts the water on, on the one who's receiving that, you hear the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or the end of our services, sometimes we use that benediction where all three persons are uh, spoken to us, pronouncing God's blessing upon us. We, along with the church of all ages, ages, insist that the Holy Spirit is personal. He is eternal, almighty, equal in glory with the Father and the Son, as the Athanasian Creed says. And as we say with the Nicene Creed, he is the Lord and giver of life, which will be our theme for this morning the Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life. We'll look at this with two points, two points for this morning's sermon. First of all, he is the helper. And then secondly, he is the spirit of truth. So first of all, he is the helper. Now Jesus, in this upper room discourse with his disciples, just before he's to be taken to the cross, makes a prediction he prophesies that what that uh, he prophesies rather about what will happen. I will pray to the Father, and He will give you another Helper. This is talking about a, a 
personal coming. Jesus, saying, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an inordinate object as an it. No. Or a force or a power. No. A person. He is, notice, another helper. And here's where some knowledge of the Greek is, is uh, necessary to bring out, helpful for us to see. It's very important to see Jesus' choice of words here. He uses, there are two words actually for another in the, in the Greek. There is the Greek word heteros, understood in the sense of being totally different, something of a different sort. Or there is also the word alos. And alos is a word that means another of the same kind. And so what Jesus is saying then is that the Holy Spirit is one like himself, one who's given to them to be like Jesus, who is like Jesus, a person. Now what does it mean that he is a helper? There are some translations of the Bible that refer to him being a comforter. Another comforter. But what does comforter mean? We sometimes may think of that as a, you know, a, a, a thick duvet that we pull over ourselves in the, on, a, on a cold night. Or like Linus from Peanuts who uh, walked around with a blanket for his comfort to be cozy. But the word comforter is very meaningful here. It's, it's a term that's dated all the way back to the days when the Bible was, was translated from the original language to the early English. So these are think of the days of John Wycliffe uh, in English history. It's a Middle English word. And it means slightly different than what we think of today as a comforter. At that time, comforter meant one who gives spiritual strength. He's a strengthener. The Holy Spirit gives you strength to, to uh, stand up against that which is vile and evil. And that's why John Wycliffe used that word comforter in his translation, because the word in the original Greek, again, is parakletos. And that is, that's a word that has entered, actually, our hymnody. As we think of some of the hymns that are written about the Holy Spirit, he is the Father's promised paraclete. Now what does that mean, that he's a paraclete? Well, that means someone who comes alongside or to call alongside. It has a whole range of meaning. And as you may know from reading your Bible, different translations, different renderings of this Greek word with different English equivalents, he is the helper, as we see in our text today. He is, the, he is our advocate. Another word. All these names give different shades, different shades rather, of, of meaning to this, to this Greek word. It, it's actually a very deep and full word in the original language. A paraclete is an advocate of someone who is accused of doing something wrong. We think of that with Jesus Christ, who in 1 John chapter 2 is said to be our what? Advocate to the Father, our intercessor. It's used in the context of our sin. 
So Jesus Christ is our advocate to the Father, and we turn to God in repentance. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. He's our advocate in the sense of bringing us peace with God. He gives us that peace and assurance after we have realized how great our sins are before a holy God. Paraclete also means counselor, someone who comes alongside to to encourage, to support. That's also what the Spirit does. He's there to encourage, to guide, to support, to give us that help. He's God present. So isn't that incredible when we think of the, the Holy Spirit being given to us that we have all of these meanings within this passage by being a comforter, an advocate, a support, a counselor. So how does he help us? How is he our comforter? How is he our strengthener and our advocate? Well, the answer to that question is simple and straightforward. It's it's actually in the form of another question. Do you believe that Jesus is your savior? Do you believe that Jesus is your savior? As Jesus said to Nicodemus, are you born again? Are you a Christian this morning? That's how we receive the Spirit's help. And that's why the Holy Spirit has come, by bringing us into fellowship with God, particularly by leading us to Jesus Christ. That's the role of the Spirit. He points us to Christ. The Spirit has come to bring us the comfort of Christ and belonging to Christ. For example, if the disciples prayed in Jesus' name for anything that they needed, Jesus would give it to them. Now, those verses don't just mean whatever they felt like would happen. No, he would give them the enabling power to carry out that commission, which they would be given to bring the word of God. Jesus would do greater things through them. And the greater things were things pertaining to salvation, to bringing to people's minds the the fullness of Christ's person and work. So the question is not simply, do you have the Holy Spirit? No, the question is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Because when you believe in Jesus, then all these wonderful things about the Spirit come true. And then all that the Holy Spirit is will help you, will encourage you and strengthen you. How does he encourage us and comfort us, congregation? Well, he counsels you. He gives wisdom to you. He, he strengthens you in your, in your faith through the preaching of the word. He makes you understand the word of God that he inspired. And he also prompts you so that if you have sinned, he brings conviction. He corrects you. And he further strengthens you. He enables you to carry out the commands of God. He helps you to to live a Christian life. He, He strengthens you in the inner man. Think of Samson, boys and girls, in the Bible. Samson, who was given mighty strength 
to tear down the temple of the Philistines. Well, it's an example of the strength that the Lord gives us in the inner man, in the inside of us. He helps us. He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of our sinful ways. He helps us to see our condemnation before God and that there is no one righteous before him. These are all the things that we've been singing this day in, in the Psalms and in our, in our, in our hymns. And his main purpose is not to give us personal satisfaction and, and excitement. No, he's our counselor and our guide. He makes us grow in our faith. And the only way that we can grow in our faith is when we grow in our understanding of God's word and receive his correction. He's our counselor and our guide. That's the main reason why Jesus sent him. And that's what the context shows us as well from these, these chapters where this theme is actually repeated a, a fair bit. He's our comforter and our helper. Uh, we see in, verses, uh, in verse uh, 26 of chapter 14, he said that he would send him in order that the disciples would be taught and, and would remember all that Jesus said to them. And furthermore, uh, in verse, verses 7 to 15 of chapter 6, it tells us he would come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He would convict the world of sin because they did not believe in Christ. He also would convict them of righteousness because Jesus was going to the Father and they would see him no more. And he also would convict them of judgment because the ruler, Satan, of this world, is judged. But when the Holy Spirit would come to the disciples, he would guide them into all truth. He would be, they would be given counsel and guidance, be directed in all wisdom. And so in all these different ways, he helps you as well. He's God within you. He's God within you. You ever think about that? He's not just the Spirit of Christ. He's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You have the living God in your heart. The Holy God. That's what Jesus says here in verse 16. I will give you another helper that he may abide in you forever. congregation, these promises are for our sake as much as they were for the disciples. And that's the whole reason why they're, they're given here. When we think of the Spirit, we, should, we shouldn't be just thinking of thrills or exciting experiences. We need to see his work in our everyday lives. Not in, in the ordinary circumstances, rather. He assists us in our, in our struggles and our sorrows. He's there right beside us. He's our comfort in the midst of the trials that we go through. So that in whatever condition we might be, or in any situation, the comforter will be there to give you that necessary help. So consider what he does for us, congregation. Through the trials that we go through in this life and through adversity, we can be kept from despair and discouragement by his sanctifying work. 
It's the comfort that we can receive as those who are true children of God. And even if the trial is unbearable, even if it seems like we can no longer bear it, strength is given. Contentment is given. Peace is given. The peace of knowing that we belong to God. He's our helper, first of all. Well, that leads us to the second point that is brought out here by the Lord. He is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. He speaks words, words which come through and from him, but also from the Father in heaven. As we said, he would lead the disciples into all truth and help them to remember all that Jesus said to them. And that indeed is what we find already in the Old Testament. It's it's already there. Think of Psalm 119, that long psalm. Some of the verses that are there, uh, one of the verses says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. That's the work of the Spirit. Daniel the prophet, we're told, in uh, Daniel 10, verse 21, Daniel is told by one of God's messengers, an angel who came to him in a vision, and the angel said, I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth, or the book of truth. So that's been the work of the Spirit in his relationship with us with regard to the truth for a long time. That's why Jesus promised the Spirit of of truth. Because when he comes, he will bring the disciples Into what? Into an understanding of who Jesus is. He will give them understanding of salvation. We see that in chapter 16. When he that is the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. For us today... That means that the Spirit will never lead people to fail to appreciate the Bible and its teaching. He will always make us interested in Scripture and how it applies to our hearts. And there's a good illustration of that actually from Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, what happened? The Apostle Peter preached a sermon. We read that 3,000 souls were saved. And when they were brought into the church, what did they focus their attention upon? The Apostle's doctrine. He gave these 3,000 souls a great love for the truth. You see, this tells us where our comfort comes from. It comes from the truth. We're comforted, congregation, when we have a profound love for doctrine. But that love for truth is not just a a dry uh, love, treating the, the, the Bible as a textbook, just knowing just knowing the facts. For example, young people only knowing your catechism, but lacking the the practice of Christianity in, in our daily lives not pursuing godliness, that's something we must avoid. Rather, the truth of the word will make us long for the Lord, will want to obey him, 
In other words, the truth will be exciting to us. It will be exciting for us to to grow in our our knowledge of, of the word. And that's what brings comfort to your life congregation when the word becomes personal for you. Look at your own life. Think about what excites you. That movie that you watched? That sports team that you're following right now? Or is it the Word? Is it the Word of God? Does a time of studying God's Word, perhaps with pen in hand or a highlighter, so you can jot down notes, or taking a notepad and writing thoughts down that you've learned, does that excite you? Does it excite you to to study the Word of God from from the point of view of how it speaks to you personally and how it applies to your situation in life? Or do we treat the Bible just like a dry textbook? And yeah, we read it around the table, but that's because we've always done that. You know, it's just a tradition. Just a tradition. We just go through the formality of it. That's how we practice our faith. That's, that's dull Christianity. That's boring. And it has no impact on your life. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 17. He says that the world cannot receive the spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him. His work is foolish to those in the world. The carnal mind cannot understand the the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. So brothers and sisters, that means that the world cannot understand his work of bringing about repentance and faith. It cannot receive him in his work doesn't want to be changed by him. But notice, however, the contrast that our Lord makes in verse 17. He says to his disciples, and you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We know him when when we allow him to teach us in a personal way when we each individually examine our lives with the word, that's what makes Christianity meaningful, where we want to be changed by him. Have you seen how God has helped you? Have you felt his comforting and strengthening presence? Have you not experienced times where you've had that sweetness, some kind of sweetness in Scripture? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And verse 16 says that he will abide with us forever. His work is not temporary. It's permanent. And that leads us right to the very beginning of this passage and to the prediction that Jesus made about our obedience from verse 15. It's not part of our text, but it's there in the context It's only when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives that we're able to show our love for God. It's only by his power that we can have that fellowship with the triune God. That is what will make us different from those in the world. That's why we're separated from the world, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. 
So do you see the comfort of the Spirit today? Congregation, this is a, this is a truth that has a great impact on you. Let's remember to firmly hold on to what God's word says here about the comforter who's the spirit of truth. His work is exciting. Not in the sense that we're, you know, slain in the spirit or that we experience a miracle. Rather, it's exciting that he meets us in our everyday life, in our struggles, in our needs, in our, in our trials. And when, at, and when you're at the end of yourself, at the end of your tether, and when you don't know how to go on, we read in God's word that the Holy Spirit will speak for you in your prayers. And he'll take your broken heart and your broken spirit and he'll bind you. That's what the, that's what the word of God says. All the promises that we've learned when, we're a little, when we were a little boy or a little girl. All those promises, which are yea and amen, will be found in Jesus Christ. Those promises can never be broken. Jesus is your best friend. He's not going to let you down. He's not left you as a penniless orphan all by yourself in this world, trying to survive and trying to make it on your own. No, he's given us his spirit. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen.